December 20th, 2015. That was our daughter Sophia's due date. And that morning, Rochelle and I woke up wondering where in the world this little girl was. Um, Why wasn't she here yet? (laughs) Uh, We thought that she was going to be early, but there we were on on that morning and, and she had not come yet. Well, that happened to be a Sunday. I was not planning to preach that Sunday. This is the church in in Brooklyn where I was. And so we went to church. We went and worshiped and we had a lunch afterwards and enjoyed a Christmas lunch. And and, uh, and then we went home to relax. And then at 3.30 in the afternoon, all of a sudden, Rochelle started feeling contractions. Um, But we didn't get too concerned because, you know, with our older son, Lucas, uh, she had felt contractions for hours before we went to the hospital. So we you know, begin to, to prepare. But, but, you know, these contractions were pretty close together. So we decided that maybe we should go to the hospital just to be sure. Well, we got to the hospital around 5 p.m. And it soon became clear that Sophia's birth was going to be a lot quicker than her older brother's. Um, we had just gotten settled into a delivery room and we were waiting for our doctor to arrive when Rochelle's contractions got really strong. And I knew that we needed to get someone in that room quick or I was going to be delivering that baby. And so they finally came in, they got set up. And after just five minutes of pushing, Sophia Grace was there. 7.25 p.m. on her due date, right on time. Um, you know, ever since uh, I became a father when our, our older son, Lucas, was born, I've had a new appreciation for birth stories and the story of how children were, were born. And the reality is every birth story is unique. Right? Each one is, is a little bit different. Um, but the interesting thing about birth stories is that the baby, if you think about it, the baby doesn't really play a very active role in the story because Sophia did not cause herself to be born on her due date. Um, She didn't will herself to come quicker than her brother. Um, No, she was just hanging out in the womb and boom, then she was there. (laughs) What happens is birth happens to a baby. Birth happens to a baby. Um, When we turn to this morning's text, we're going to see that, that Jesus has a conversation where he talks about birth and he applies it to the spiritual realm. He's going to be talking about being born again or born from above or born of the spirit. And we're going to see as we look at this this text that that also this spiritual birth is similar to a physical birth. It happens to us. It happens to us. We're going to look at, at what that, how, how we see that in our text. Well, during this, uh, this season of Lent, we are going through this sermon series called Encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we are looking at, at these different encounters that Jesus has with different individuals uh, that are recorded specifically in John's Gospel. And, and so today we're going to be looking at an encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Um, and my sermon title today is Reborn. Uh, because as we, as we see, uh, much of this, the focus of this encounter, that, as Jesus encounters Nicodemus, is to talk about this idea of being reborn, uh, being born again, born from above, and what that means. So our text today is, from, is John chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 17. That's uh, on page 751 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. So John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, 
a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for this powerful encounter that we see Jesus you had with Nicodemus as you open up this concept of, of our need to be reborn, to be born again. And, and so we pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want to say to us today, Lord. And uh, so speak, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are introduced to this man, this is the man of, in this particular encounter, Nicodemus, in verse 1 of our text, where we read, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, so, so Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. Uh, a fair, that meant that he was a part of this, this sect in Judaism at the time that really prided themselves on keeping the law, their meticulous keeping of the law. And we also learned that he was a leader. Um, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, which was called the Sanhedrin. Uh, later in, in verse 10, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you are Israel's teacher. So, so Nicodemus, he was revered. He was respected in that society. He was, he was a leader. He was a, a man of the law. And he comes to Jesus um, at night with a perspective in some ways of sort of evaluating Jesus, right? He's sort of, he's been looking at him. He and some of the other Pharisees, they've been kind of checking him out. And, and, and so he comes to him in verse 2, and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So, so again, Nicodemus and others, they've been, they've been observing Jesus, and, and they had come to this conclusion that, that 
there must be something about Jesus that is connected to God. He says, you, you must have somehow come from God, that you're, you're connected with God, um, because you perform these amazing signs. But it's interesting, right, that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He comes at night because he doesn't really want anybody else to know that he's there uh, hanging out with this Jesus. There's still some question about uh, whether to really embrace uh, Jesus. They don't really want, he doesn't want no others to know that he's meeting with him. But, but he's curious. There's something about this Jesus that, that draws him to him. But he goes into the, he begins the conversation kind of talking about saying, Jesus, this conversation is going to be about who are you and, 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 and how should we view you, Right. Um, we, we believe that we see something happening here, Jesus. But you know what? Jesus has something completely different in mind in, the, in this encounter. He has a completely different purpose for this conversation. He is not going to have this conversation be about, about Nicodemus evaluating him. He is actually going to, in some ways, examine Nicodemus in this conversation. As so often happens with these encounters with Jesus, Jesus takes control of the conversation. He flips it on Nicodemus. And he's actually going to encounter and sort of examine Nicodemus. And we're going to see in, in, this, in the course of this conversation that, that in many ways, Jesus is doing the same thing with us. That as he is encountering and examining Nicodemus, he's also doing the same with us. And the first thing that Jesus does, right, as, as he responds back to Nicodemus, is that he confronts Nicodemus and us with the fact that we all need to be reborn. That we all need to be Reborn. This is Jesus' initial response to Nicodemus in verse 3, right? Nicodemus says, hey, we've been checking you out, Jesus. We think that maybe you're from God, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're curious, though, about you. And, and then Jesus' response in verse 3 is, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So immediately, Jesus flips the, the conversation right over to Nicodemus, right? And he sort of says, Let, let's actually talk about you, Nicodemus. Um, and, and, and what he's, what he's doing here, he, he uses this term, um, born again, the, the, the Greek, uh, the literal Greek uh, phrase is one that could be, that could easily either be translated born again or born from above. Um, either of those are, are, are kind of accurate and they both kind of explain what, what he's trying to talk about. It's a different kind of birth, right? It's a born, being born from above, being born again. Um, and, and again, he is, he is kind of spinning the tables over to Nicodemus saying, let's talk about you because Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And so guess what, Nicodemus? That also means you, right? Even you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Now, this would have been a very surprising statement to Nicodemus because the Jewish people at this time, they had the conception of the kingdom of God as something that would come at the very end of the age, that, that uh, it would come and, and, and that really all Jews, all, all those who are part of the people of God, Israel, they would be admitted into the kingdom, they'd be brought into the kingdom, except for those who are maybe extremely wicked or who had rejected God. So for, for Jews like Nicodemus, here's the thing, in his mind, it was enough to be born Jewish to enter the kingdom of God. You just needed to be born born, right? <laughs> if he's born into Israel, then he's going to enter the kingdom of God. There was no need to be born again, to be born a second time. And you can see that Nicodemus, is, again, is very confused about what Jesus is saying here because in his, his response to him in verse 4 is, how can someone be born when they are old? 
Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So Nicodemus is so perplexed at the idea that something else would be required in order to enter the kingdom of God that he misinterprets Jesus' statement completely. Right? He, he, he thinks that Jesus is talking about being physically born a second time, which just seems completely ridiculous to him. Right? How in the world could that ever happen, Jesus? This is ridiculous what you're talking about. And so then in verses 5 and 6, Jesus clarifies that he's not talking about physical birth here, but he's talking about a spiritual rebirth when he says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So Jesus says, we're not talking, again, we're not talking about a physical birth, the flesh giving birth to flesh. We're talking about a spiritual birth, the spirit giving birth to spirit. But, but even when Jesus kind of, kind of tries to clarify this, Nicodemus is still puzzled. He is just confused by this. And, and in verse 9, he, he just says to him, how can this be? How can this be? Nicodemus is completely confused about the idea of being spiritually reborn. And a large part of his struggle is the fact that he can't understand why someone like him would need a spiritual rebirth. I mean, he is a Jew. He is a Pharisee. He is a member of the Jewish ruling council. He is Israel's teacher. Why in the world would Nicodemus need to be spiritually reborn? I mean, isn't he doing enough through the law, through what he has accomplished? You know, Nicodemus' response is actually a pretty common one in our world today. Can you imagine the response of most people if you went up to, to someone on the street and you said, you know, you need to be spiritually reborn. You need to be spiritually reborn. You know, many, many people in our world, how they would probably respond to that is just, be, again, being sort of like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right? we, many people in our, our culture are just are completely secular and, and don't believe that there really is any sort of spiritual reality at all. And so this idea of being reborn spiritually wouldn't even make sense. They might respond kind of like Nicodemus did initially. How can someone be born a second time? That doesn't make any sense, right? That's impossible. Now, other people, there are many others in our, in our world who, who do believe in maybe a spiritual realm. They might believe that there is a God. They might believe in even an afterlife. There, there are many people, you look at polls and you see that a lot of Americans do believe that. But I think for many of those people, they think they're doing just fine, just like Nicodemus did. So if you were to ask a question like, so how do you enter into the kingdom of God? Or how do you enter into heaven? Many would probably say something along the lines of, well, if you're a generally good person, and if you try your best to live a good life, then yeah, I think I'll, I'll be going to heaven. And most people think that they are generally pretty good, right? I, I'm not like those people. I'm, I'm doing all right. And so therefore, yeah, I'll, I'll probably, I hope I'll end up in heaven, right? Some people might say that. Now, other people, they might give sort of a religious reason to this. Well, you, you go to heaven if, if, you, if you go to church and, and you pray enough, and if you're a good Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, fill in the blank, right? If, if I'm a good whatever this is, right? If, I, if, I, if I'm following the religious rules, then yes, I, I think I will enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus sort of saying again, hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty good Pharisee. I'm a pretty good religious teacher, right? Why would I need to be reborn? So for many people in our world, they think they're doing just fine spiritually. 
Maybe you could improve here or there, but, but this idea of being reborn, that just seems a little bit over the top. I don't need to be re... Maybe I just need to improve myself a little bit, right? Kind of maybe work on this, work on that, and then maybe I'll get to that, that place. But this whole idea of being reborn, that, that doesn't make any sense. Maybe, maybe even someone who's here today or listening to this, maybe you kind of relate to that perspective. You think, oh, I'm doing all right. I'm okay. But then we hear Jesus' words. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born anew, born again. Why is it that this is true? Why do we need to be reborn? Why, why, why do we need this, this whole completely transformational rebirth? Well, we see this in, in, in one of Paul's letters, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. He says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The Bible says that we all start off as spiritually dead. That we are born as sinners. That we are born rebelling against God and his law. You know, and, and as a father of three children, I can attest to this, that, uh, that, that, that we are born <laughs> in, into that place. I assure you, I never taught my children how to disobey. I never taught my children that they need to assert their own will over anyone else's. No, no, no. That came very naturally to them. <laughs> um, we see that in every human child from a very young age, right? And as adults... We're not much better, are we? How many times do we get angry and frustrated when things don't go our way? And how often do we turn to God and say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Kind of like Israel was doing in our reading in Numbers, right? Why did you bring us out into this wilderness to to starve and, and complaining against God, right? We demand God you give me an easier life, that you give me a better job or more money or, or more success or less suffering, fill in the blank. And the reality is that that sort of attitude towards God, it is the root of sin, which is putting ourselves in the place of God, coming to God and evaluating and judging him. Right? Which is in many ways what Nicodemus is doing here, right? Coming to Jesus, saying, let me evaluate you, Jesus, and see what's going on here. How often do we do that with Jesus, with God? The reality is when we do that, when we take that position against God, Lord, you, God, you, you, you need to do things my way. That is rebellion. The Bible says that it deserves death. In fact, Paul says that we are dead in our sins. We are condemned. So our only hope in this situation that we are born into, right? We are born as rebels. We are born into sin. We are born as as those who are against God. Our only hope, if you're dead, is to be given new life, to be reborn, to be born anew. And so we all need this. We all need to be reborn. We need to be given new spiritual life. So, so how does that happen? 
What does Jesus say here about how it is that, that those of us who we need this rebirth, we need this, this new life because we were born as spiritually dead, how does it happen? Well, the next thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us is that we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. We are reborn by the Holy Spirit. Like I mentioned in that opening story of, of, of Sophia's birth, a baby cannot accomplish their own birth by any action or will on their part, right? The child does not say, I think today I'm going to be born. I'm going to try to, to, I'm going to birth myself into this world, right? No, that doesn't happen, right? Birth happens to the child. Birth happens to a baby. And the same is true when it comes to spiritual rebirth. We do not cause ourselves to be spiritually reborn. If we are, as the Bible says, spiritually dead, Guess what a dead person can do? Nothing. You're dead, right? The only hope for a spiritually dead person is for something or someone outside of themselves to give them life, to breathe life into them. We cannot give life to ourselves. Spiritually, spiritual rebirth comes from outside of ourselves. And in this passage, what Jesus says is that it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is able to give new life to a spiritually dead person. And again, in verses five to six, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So, so where does this new spiritual birth comes from? Jesus says it comes from the spirit. The spirit has to give life. The Spirit has to give this new spiritual life. The Apostle Paul talks about this rebirth in, in the scripture reading that we heard earlier that Becky read from, from Titus 2, where we read, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal, where? By the Holy Spirit. This comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings the washing of rebirth, that brings this renewal, that brings this new life. The Holy Spirit is able to take spiritually dead sinners and rebels like us. And what is he able to do? To wash us clean and make us alive again. But that is something that only God can do. Something that only the Holy Spirit can do. In Ezekiel 36 Verses 25 to 26, we see this even in the Old Testament where, where God says this. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What, 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 what God is saying here is, is he's talking about rebirth. And he's talking about a brand new reality. And, and who is the subject of all of those verbs in those verses? It's God, right? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. It is God who will do this. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Not us. We can't do that. We can't do that in ourselves. It is only what God can do from outside of us. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? This grates against us. It grates against us because we want to be the cause of our rebirth. 
We want to think that I, I can somehow do it. We want to take credit for being born again. We want to be told what we need to do. Right? You ne- if you do X, Y, and Z, then you will be reborn. But, but, but Jesus says that it's not about you. It's about God. And I think this is why Nicodemus is so puzzled in this conversation with Jesus. Because who is Nicodemus? He is a Pharisee. He is a teacher of the law. And so if, if there's anything that needs that, that about this whole thing, that he, what, G, what Nicodemus is expecting to get is, is, tell me, Jesus, what do I need to do? What laws do I need to keep? What steps do I need to take to get to this? But, but what does Jesus say in verse 8? He says, Nicodemus, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, Nicodemus, guess what? You're not in control. You're not in control of the Spirit. You're not in control of being born again. It's not about what you do. It happens to you. You are not the cause. The Spirit is the cause. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So how does it happen then? How does this happen to a person? How does the Holy Spirit bring about this new life in us? Does Jesus give us any more insight into this from his encounter with Nicodemus? Yes, the final thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus and to us about being spiritually reborn is that we are reborn through faith in Jesus Christ. We are reborn by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who does it. But the way that the Spirit does it is through faith in Jesus Christ. As he births faith within us to trust in what Jesus has done and who he is. And we see this actually a little bit later in the passage. In verses 14 to 15, Jesus says this. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. What Jesus is talking about here is he's, he's making an allusion to the, the passage that we again heard earlier in Numbers 21, where, where the, the Israelites were out in the wilderness and they were rebelling against God. And, and, uh, and, and so as they were complaining to their leader, Moses, uh, as, as again, we often complain against God, right, about the things that we wish he would do differently in our lives, as we were talking about earlier. And so what does, what does God do? He sends these venomous snakes among the people. As, as punishment for their rebellion. And those who were bit by the snakes, they died. Just like we were talking about earlier, our rebellion against God, what does it lead to? It leads to death. It leads to spiritual death. And so we are very much in the same place as those Israelites. And so the people come to Moses and, and they admit their sin. They admit that they, what they've been doing and they plead for God to take away the snakes. And, and what does God do? In, in Numbers 21, verse 8, The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, a bronze snake, and put it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So so Moses makes this this bronze snake, and, and he lifts it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten by the snakes, anyone who who has basically been given this death sentence, if they look at the snake, what happens? 
They live. They live. And this is what Jesus says, that, that he says that, 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 any, that just as Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, he says, so in the same way, the Son of Man, talking about himself, must be lifted up. That he, saying that, that he, like that bronze snake, is going to be lifted up. And, and that, that what's going to happen if anyone looks to him, just like the Israelites looked to the snake, that they will live. Or again, as he, as he puts it there in verse 15, right? That the, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have poisonous snake venom running through our veins. We are dead in our sins. We're desperate need to be washed clean and reborn. And just as God provided a way for the people of Israel to be saved in the wilderness, he has done the same for us. He has provided a way for us to be given new life. And in the very next verse, which is probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves the world. He loves all of us snake-poisoned rebels. And he loved us enough to send his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who was lifted up on a cross in our place. Jesus was punished for our rebellion. He absorbed the dirt of our sins so that we can be washed clean. He embraced death so that we can be reborn. And because Jesus was willing to be lifted up on the cross for us, now the Holy Spirit can apply that new life that Jesus has accomplished for us. The Holy Spirit can apply that to us. Now we can be reborn into eternal life, into the kingdom of God. Why? Because Jesus has made the way. Because he has accomplished it for us. Jesus opened the way, and now the Holy Spirit brings us there. He brings us into all of what Jesus has done. And the way that he brings us there is by simply trusting that Jesus has done what he said he's done. By simply looking up at him. In the same way that the Israelites, all they had to do was just look at the snake. And if they did, what happened? They were saved. What do we do? We simply look at him. We say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. But even this faith, even this, this act, this, this, this turning to him, this looking at him, this trusting in him, even that is not something that we get to point to and say, look at how great I am for looking up at Jesus. I'm the believer. I, that's why I'm born again is because of my great faith. No, we simply say, Jesus, even our, even our faith is a gift from you. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we see, for, for grace it is you've been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God, not, not of ours, so that no one can boast. We can't even boast in that. Faith even the faith to believe him is something that God creates in us. And how does he create it in us? He creates it in us through the power of his word, 
that is proclaimed to us. As we hear that word, the word has the power to to birth this faith within us. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that, even that work of, of birthing faith in us. The power is not in us. It's not in our hearts. The power is in the word that calls to us, that that gives life to us. The Spirit working through the Word produces faith in our hearts, which gives us new life. It all is Him. It's all His work. It's the Spirit's work. It all happens to us, even when it feels like we're the ones choosing, we're the ones deciding, that really we all say, God, it's all you. It's all your grace. It's all a gift. It's all the work of your spirit. And so here's the question that that each and every one of us are faced with today. Have you been reborn? Do you have a rebirth story? In a similar way that that a a child has, has a birth story. And just like a physical birth story, each of us who have been spiritually reborn will have a unique story of the way that God has done that in us. Just like a baby's birth story isn't about what the baby did to be reborn. Our rebirth story isn't about what we did to be reborn or even focused so much on our faith. It is about what God's done. It is about how Jesus gave his life for us. How that our rebirth story starts in Calvary. That's where it, that's where it comes from. What Jesus did, and it comes from how the Holy Spirit led us to believe in him and how that same spirit washed us clean and gave us a new heart and raised us from the dead and made us reborn. Now, maybe you're here today and you can kind of identify with Nicodemus. You're kind of confused by this, all this talk about being reborn. And you kind of think, I'm doing just fine. Why do I need all this new birth stuff? And maybe you're sort of at a place actually where you're more interested in examining and evaluating Jesus and and what to believe about him. But could it be that just as Nicodemus entered into that conversation with Jesus, thinking that he was going to evaluate Jesus, that maybe you're here today because Jesus actually wants to evaluate you? That maybe he's actually wanting to say to you, guess what? You need to be reborn too. And maybe he's telling you that that, that he wants to wash you clean. And he wants to give you a new heart. And he wants to give you this new birth. And and maybe as you've even been sitting here today, you you find yourself believing that, that Jesus did actually die for you. And that you want to be reborn. And maybe you find yourself looking up at Jesus and who was lifted up on the cross. For you, just like those Israelites looked up at the bronze serpent. And and if you find yourself doing that today, guess what? It means that the Spirit has been working in you to give you faith to believe in Him. And it means that today is your spiritual rebirth day because the Holy Spirit brought you to that place of saying, Yes, Jesus, I want this. I want you. And he will do that work of applying the cleansing of that new, new birth to you. And one of the ways that the Bible speaks about, about this is with the language of baptism. Um, and this is a whole other thing that we don't have time to go into today. But it's interesting, right? When Jesus says that you must be born of water and the Spirit, 
that, that there Jesus is, is, there's a reference there to this idea of being washed, right? Of water and the spirit. And, 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 and Paul in Titus 2 again talks about the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And, and so one of the, the ways that the Bible talks about this whole process of being reborn and being given new life is, is with the language of baptism. That we are washed and cleansed. And, and if you find yourself in a place of saying, yes, Jesus, I want you to wash me and cleanse me and, and give me new life, then, then my encouragement to be is that if you've never been baptized, I'd love to baptize you. <laughs> to be able to give that washing of, of water in the same way that the Spirit gives that washing. And so I'd love to talk with you. If, if that's you, if you're in a place where, where, where you are saying, yeah, I want to trust in this Jesus. I'm, I, I believe in this. And, and maybe I actually want to receive that gift of, of baptism. I'd love to talk with you more about that even after the service today. But I know for many of us, we have been reborn. Many of us, we have been baptized and, and we have been washed and we have been given this new life by the Holy Spirit as we've trusted in, in Christ's atoning work for us on the cross. But even for us, right, who have been, we have been reborn and we, yes, Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I, I, I follow you. You're my savior. You've saved me. You've given me this new birth. Guess what? We need to hear this message over and over again because it is so easy to lose sight of it. It is so easy in subtle ways to begin to trust in our good works and our spirituality and our religiosity and, and what we have done for God rather than what God has done for us. And we can even begin to really start focusing on the strength of my faith rather than the strength of my Savior. And so even though we have been reborn by the Spirit, the reality is we also have a sinful nature that is still present in our lives. And that part of that sinful nature is always wanting to lift ourselves up and focus our attention on me rather than on Christ. And so we need to keep hearing that message that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about what he's done. And we need to be reminded that all of us, even Nicodemus, needed to be reborn. We need to be reborn. And that we are reborn only by the grace of God the power of the Holy Spirit, and the only way that reason that we can be reborn is because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And the good news is that even when we lose sight of that, even when we give in to our sinful nature and, and we start lifting up ourselves and we start living according to the flesh instead of the spirit, we are invited once again to look up at the cross, to look up at what he's done and hear his words to us, it is finished. I've done it all. I've done it all for you. And so simply look at me and trust me because I've done it all for you. He reminds us that we are cleansed. We are reborn and we have eternal life because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we... Acknowledge that, that, that we are in need of your new birth. Lord, if we're honest, we, we see that sin, we see the, the tendency to, to be like the Israelites in the wilderness, to, to, to assert our will, to, to begin to come and, and evaluate you and judge you and what you're doing in our lives, Lord. And, and we just, today, Lord, we just repent of that. Say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for 
for thinking that, that we, that you somehow need to answer to us and forgive us for even the ways that we want to lift ourselves up and point to ourselves for, for why we are born again, that it's, that it's about what we did or Jesus, forgive us. Help us, Lord, to, to see that, that it's all you. It's all your grace. And to simply say, Lord, I, my only boast is in you. It's not in myself. And so, Jesus, I, I pray that, that if there's anyone even here today listening and, and hearing this word and, and hearing this message and, and sensing, Lord, that, that you are actually leading them to to this place of saying, I want to be reborn. I want to have a new life. I want, I want a clean slate. I want to be washed clean. I want to be born anew. Jesus, that, that as, as you birth that faith in them, as they look to you, God, that you would reassure them and give them that assurance, Lord, that yes, you have done everything necessary for them to be reborn. And that it is finished. And as they look to you, they can have confidence, Jesus, that you have given them that new life. May would rest in that even today. And Lord, those of us who have received that gift in the past, Lord, that, that we too would, would be given that assurance that to we too, Jesus, that you have done it all for us. It is finished. And we can rest in the fact that you have given us that new birth and we can live into that, Jesus. So do that in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.